0: The real meaning behind your favorite songs. Not just big hits, but iconic culture-changing pieces of art. This
1: is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback.
0: There he goes, Mark. He's about to peel out and make his way to the singles bar. <laughs> That's such a 70s reference to singles bar. The red light just went on. Oh, so good. Sirius XM106, <laughs> it's volume. Seriously, there really is. It's like, I just left my S training and I'm going to the singles bar.
1: Or the, or the disco. I remember, disco
2: was just a club.
0: The discotech. Alright, Series X M106 is volume feedback. Nick Carter, Lori Majewski, and uh, here he is our returning champion, Mark Myers, Wall Street Journal, Music and Arts contributor. Where's his applause, man? There you go. Uh, thanks, guys. We we figure you deserve if nothing less. You deserve canned applause. Seven of them. Just like it's like the uh, the applause on like the Danny Thomas show. Like everybody's dead now. Anyway, Anatomy of a Song, his book, The Oral History of 45 Iconic Hits that Changed Rock, Pop, and R&B. Rock, R&B, and Pop, sorry. Uh, We've got the swaggering love song that launched New Wave. Now, a couple of uh, bones of contention Majewski has for you. First of all, she claims this song is not swaggering. I disagreed there. But I asked her, I said, okay, would you co-sign that this uh, launched New Wave? And I said, I don't think so. And she, well, go ahead.
1: I don't think it's swaggering. I think it's much more restrained and cool. Brian Ferry would not swagger.
2: He called it swaggering <sighs> when I interviewed him. Oh, in your face.
1: I am I, he can say that, but as a girl who worships him, I hear you. His way. He can say that, but cool. as a fan,
2: I know better no, than he does. No, it's not as a fan. Let's call it jaunty.
1: a devotee. Um, and I just I I don't think I think more technically, I think uh, Same Old Scene is the song that would probably have launched New Wave, but I understand what, what you're saying is that Roxy Music in general are a group that a lot of the people who fall under this huge circus tent that is New Wave look to, but I feel like Love is the Drug, even the Grace Jones version of it maybe is more considered like. The, the birth of but two of, things i did i did see this i'm as, being very technical here but as the queen no, no. of new wave
0: i can be but and i dubbed you the queen of new wave you've been you de- did. you've been demoted did. now now he did i've been demoted i thought you she- Sheared. you're the duchess it's, of it's, new wave um no
2: i i I'll agree. lay I'm, I'm, i
0: think it's swaggering and i see it more i saw that more i mean it's been absorbed in the new wave milieu but i always saw it more as they were still in the art rock period
2: i'm gonna lay it out for you and I'm going to show you that's why right. it is. Yeah, Lori. And I'm going to show you why it is the start of New Age. Yeah, Lori.
1: But you even said all, the other all due day. I'll respect to the queen. You even said the other day when, when we were talking about this, you were like, do you really think Durand is a descendant of Roxy? And, and and that's what I was like, all right, this guy's needed an Oh, education. that's crazy. Okay, that's crazy talk. But he did, he had an education. He talked to Ferry, so I'll, I'll allow it. And
2: Andy McKay. I mean, you know... Um, they're being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on March 29th. And I think a lot of people are sort of like, you know, Roxy music? Like, yeah. what did they do? I mean, Roxy's probably, um, and Lori, I think, you know, you'll agree with this, um, the best known band with the least known music in the U.S. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, most people can name more than one of their songs. Um, I
0: said, I think people have probably heard, first of all, they've heard the name and they probably heard more songs than they realized, but didn't realize it was they.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just, they just didn't have hits. I mean, if you look at their billboard hits, Love is the Drug is their biggest hit and it only clocks in at number 30. So, you know, but Roxy, I mean, here's the thing. You know, some people say, well, why, why over Todd Rundgren? Why are they going in? I don't get it. Um, Roxy pioneered art rock. They pioneered new wave without really knowing it. And, you know, their, their albums were fashion forward. I mean, Chic lifts Roxy, the whole concept. Nara just told me that. He
1: wanted to be a black Roxy.
2: Literally wanted to do exactly that. They saw the, the album cover in Europe and they said, let's do our album co- covers just like these guys in London. Um,
0: and the Chic album covers, the, the, the early ones, look very much like that. Yes. You know, as, as they get older, like, you know, when they get to, like, Le Freak and all that, it just kind of looks like a bunch of people going to a disco, but I get where they were going.
2: Right. Right. It's it, They're adding the fashion overlay, but they're adding it on a high, slick, vogue, um, Harbor's Bazaar um, uh, level. I mean, high haute couture fashion, but hip and trendy. Um, that's at least their their packaging. Um My view is that Love is the Drug is the first true New Wave song. Unintentional, because this happens in 75, and New Wave really isn't coined until a couple of years later. Um, But as I say, uh, in 75, Love is the Drug reaches number 30 on the Billboard chart. Um, And this song, and Roxy, uh, influenced, you know, the list goes on, but Blondie, Elvis Costello, Talking Heads, Cars, uh, The Buggles, and also... You know, the drummer in Roxy does influence Duran Duran. But can I just mention yeah. how, how insane... The
1: bassist it, absolutely does, yeah. too.
2: But if you think about it now...
0: I mean, this we've been... Li- again, Laurie and I are post-punk new wave kids... You know, and we've been living with this song for so long. But if you think about it, 1975, what was happening? It was everything from like Edgar Winter Group and that kind of thing.
1: 75. The
0: fact that this song got to
2: number 30
1: is insane. With an oboe. Insane. That's
2: right. And it, it, it introduces a new genre without having it coined yet. In other words, nobody is claiming that this is the first New Wave song because... People said immediately, this is something new. This is called New Wave. I mean, takes, imagine
0: trying to hear... I mean, it takes a hearing, couple of years for Imagine to hearing same that game. on
2: the radio next to, like, Frankenstein. Right. It's insane. Right, right, right. Um, it's completely new out of the box. But let's first talk about New Wave, because I don't think you can really talk about Roxy without talking about New Wave Wait, first. Wait, Lori's
0: going to get out of her comfort zone and talk about New Wave.
2: <laughs> Jokes, Lori.
0: <Laurie. laughs>
2: Laurie, put that bow and arrow down. I'm kidding! Put that bow and arrow down. You're
0: the queen (laughs) of New Wave! Oh, now I'm back
1: to being the queen. Thank you.
2: (laughs) You're the queen of New Wave. Can
0: I, just give me, give me a stay of execution.
2: Let's go back to its origins. You know, you have to go back to New York in the early 1970s because New Wave comes out of punk, right? Um, And it, it, punk is basically, um, it's rage-driven brutalism. You know, it's just stripped down garage rebellion against highbrow progressive rock and it's a rebellion against fancy glamorina bands. It's back to the basics. Glamorina? I'm
1: sorry? I like that word, yeah. glamorina. Yeah, yeah. That, that should be my name. I'm a glamorina.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that could be your uh, 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 screen name on the B&D sites you're on.
2: <laughs> early early 70s punk bands, right? New York Dolls, Television, Neon Boys, uh, with Tom Verlaine, Billy Fika, and... Uh, Richard Hell, right? Patti Smith and the Ramones. I mean, this is, I'm talking about 73, 74, which is really when we see um, punk emerging in New York. Let's, um, let's listen to a couple of these because I don't think you can get to New Wave without hearing the beginnings of punk in New York. Um, do you have television's double exposure? This is the demo in 74 produced by Brian Eno and Richard Williams. television. And this is like
0: the most accessible of television.
2: Yes. <laughs> and it's a, you know it's a bit of my generation, right? Reinterpreted. Um, do you have the New York Dolls um let's do Chatterbox 74 again.
0: This is 74. I'm sorry. Everybody, everybody
2: points to Johansson, but it's all about Sylvain. Sylvain. <laughs> and then let's let's re- remember, '74. Ramones are still doing demos, and let's do let's do the Ramones demo of "Judy Is a Punk" in '74. I love this. Isn't it great?
1: Is punk,
2: is dynamo, high, like They're like the Stan Kenton of punk bands, <laughs> these guys. All right, so by 77, right? That's 74. So punk, you know, Neon Boys is seventy four. By 77, punk's popularity is really crested, uh, at least in New York. Audiences at Max's Kansas City um, and other uh, punk clubs are are minimal. I mean, they're shrinking. And it's easy to sort of figure out why at this point. There's just too many spike-haired safety pin bands raging against everything and anything. Um, and, And, And
1: also, they're too dirty. After a while, people are just like, you know what? Like, Stop, take a shower, and get on the radio. Because none of the stuff you just played was on the radio. That's no one correct. was making any money. Zero. And everyone looked filthy. Yep. And and there was a sense of, we have to do the opposite of that.
2: Correct. And there's a factor. And there's people a- want to
0: get laid, too. And well, not, here, to, not to
2: be too pedestrian are, about it, but, you know, I was going to say something posts. like that, but a little different. Guys <laughs> loved this music, and women hated it. It just wasn't... Uh, romantic enough there was nothing um warm and sensual about it it's just raw guy rage now seymour stein who you may know you may not know but he co-founded sire records and he signed the ramones and the talking heads and other bands and he found that the term punk was derogatory and diminishing Um, and he he saw that from an aesthetic standpoint but he also finds that that they're not this punk doesn't make money it doesn't mean money it's not going to help record companies um and he came up with a new term for this movement that was emerging that combined punk and pop and he called it new wave after new wave french cinema um and new music by the talking heads blondie the cars other bands they retained their punk vocals so they had their punk values but this new wave thing had a a nonchalance, an art rock heart, and more of a commercial pop flavor. It was, I guess in short, it was sexier. It was sexier. Um, And new wave bands of the late 70s had a, you know, for the most part, they had this twitchy, um, nerdy sound and look originally, you know, in the late 70s. Um, Let's listen to three classic new wave. So now just keep that punk overlay in your head, listener, uh, from the early 70s that we just played. And let's listen to the Talking Heads in 77. So punk minimalism, but it's already pop over. It's being pop produced. The producers are pop thinking in terms of pop and selling records. The screaming's gone. The rage is channeled differently. And it's a little slicker and it's a little more intriguing, less deliberate. Um, let's do Elvis's uh, Less Than Zero, also 77. But so he, it's
0: nerdy. Yeah, but he maintained more of the quote unquote angry spirit of punk too, even though it was kind of like buffed
2: and shined a little bit. He
0: was an angry guy.
2: But it's produced. And punk isn't. You know, it's really you didn't there, there was no job for the producer in punk.
1: That's absolutely right.
2: Yeah. I mean there's just no job for the producer. Um let's do the cars. I mean, this to me is like the epitome of, of emerging a uh, new wave in seventy eight.
0: It's my favorite car song too. I love this.
2: And Rick's got that, you know, that Buddy Holly-ish sound to his voice—that that that throwback, that pop throwback. But it's also there's a punk minimalism here, like Rockaway Beach, Ramone's Rockaway Beach, and the clapping, right? So it's nerdy, it's twerpy, it's 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 pop. And it's polished, to quote Nick. Um, and record companies, to Laurie's point, are finally making money, and a lot of it, um, because they've sexed this stuff up. They brought the producer back. Um, many late 70s new wave groups, like I said, combined Buddy's, uh, Buddy Holly's nerdiness. <clears throat> and also, the other important thing is this fashion-forward ethos. Right, they're all fashion conscious, and that's even before MTV. I mean, after MTV, it's understandable that you've got to have a look to get on there. But even before that, they're thinking about fashion. Uh, new wave.
1: Well, even though they didn't have MTV until August of '81, Top of the Pops was a, a force, and if you were going to go on there, and I talked about Bowie's Starman, the British music right. right? If if Bowie set the stage with what he wore and and how he looked for Starman ever since then when you go on top of the pops it's kind of like the MTV video music awards you had to make a statement a scene you had to be you had to look a certain way so by now and also the clubs like the clubs in the United States had huge video screens so even before MTV There were videos being made so that you can be seen as well as heard.
2: Right. Uh, And keep in mind, all of these bands listen to a ton of music, and they listen to music nobody knew about at the time. Oh, they're they're hunting out stuff from from England. They're hunting out stuff for Australia. They want to hear what's going on. They want to hear what's on the cutting edge. And... You know there these guys are all listening to Roxy music. I mean, Roxy is ahead of its time. So the fashion forward concept even though there isn't MTV, Roxy's highly fashionable. Brian Ferry is just male supermodel of rock and roll, right? To this day, we were just saying yeah. either, earlier, to this day he's like 73 and he's still like he's dressing up. He's dressing up. Cleans up nice. Um
1: He made music an event.
2: Yeah. Exactly. To this day Props. Um, So Seymour Stein, the guy who founded Sire, he writes in his memoir from 2017, uh, Siren Song is the uh, name of the album, is the name of the uh, memoir, I'm sorry. Here's what he says, quote, this is about the the, the decline of punk and the rise of new wave. And this is the guy that invented the term new wave. Quote, there's only so long any artist can keep living in vans playing to 60 people. In reality, the best punk bands generally disliked the term and only ever dreamed of making rock and roll, great rock and roll. And that's true. You know, punk just couldn't find its way out of the garbage can I mean in, in, in it, was, essence. it was
1: ugly it was a tonal it was never going to be something that people took to heart right and th- it the whole didn't po- have a lot of heart
2: Right, and the whole point was not to sell out that's I mean, nihilism yeah the, the whole point of punk was not to sell out not to go commercial well, They we were have, rebelling against we that. have to take a quick break but again Joe Strummer
0: said it best the thing about punk was if you're ugly you're in <laughs> <laughs> Coming from the guy who uh, put that together. All right, we got a lot more to come from uh, Mark Myers. Stick around, it's feedback. Feedback returns
1: in just a moment. Inside the making of a hit. This is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback.
0: All right, Volume series XM One Hundred Six. Nick Carter, Lori Majewski, and our uh, our homie, our man, Permanent installation part of the feedback family Mark Myers of the Wall Street hey. Journal music and arts contributor again his book Anatomy of a Song the Oral History of 45 Iconic Hits That Changed uh, rock R&B and pop and he's taken us through the history of punk into new wave uh, and right along the uh, another point on the
2: on the continuum Roxy Music and Love is the Drug Yeah so let's do the um <clears throat> well to to close that out I mean from punk, how to go how, how we went from punk to new wave the, the irony of course is that Roxy Music had already pioneered this sound without knowing it, right? They're not sitting around in a, in a laboratory figuring out, okay, if we add you know two guitars and we add a saxophone, we'll get new wave. I mean, this is just their music. It just happens to be a palatable, dancey, new wavy kind of song. And it's 1975, years earlier, even y- years before the music's even coined. So let's Let's look at this the history of this song, right? How did how did Love is the Drug come about so early <clears throat> with this sound? Um, Roxy Music forms in England in 1970, 71. Um, many of the guys in the band had been in art school and music school. And this was true of Brian Ferry, Andy McKay, Eddie Jobson, and, and Brian Eno, who was in the band originally. And that's important because art school at this point in time is... is about a wide range of things. I mean, it's just, it's art, it's avant-garde, they have guest lecturers who are cutting edge, it's minimalism, it's modernism from modern classical composers. It's a whole bunch of high level stuff, but it's not progressive rock. Progressive rock has a whole, it's a whole different conversation. This is art school rock, art school music, art school, you know, it's, it's the merging of painting, art, sculpture, and a variety of computers and a wide variety of uh, avant-garde uh, trends.
1: And that's how everyone after it it's not just about the music anymore. Right. Everything, it goes into a big stew. And after Roxy Music goes to art school, pretty much every major British band coming out of that era after Roxy. Then goes to art school and forms bands. It's like you, it's almost like you, you know, you used to go to a garage and form a band. It's now you go to art school and form a band, St. Right. Martin's College. Well, look at Talking
0: Heads. They
2: fil- they formed at RISD, at Island R- 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 School of Design. And keep in mind, Roxy comes off of Velvet Underground and John Kay. I mean, um, uh, these guys are all, a lot of these guys are coming out of the art school scene um, and the art music scene. Um, so their influences are eclectic. I mean, Roxy's, a lot of these guys, they're listening to a vanguard. Um, they're avant-garde guys like John Cage and Lamont Young. And also the American Hit Parade, Brian, as Brian Ferry told me, you know, he's listening to everything. Billy Holiday, I mean, you know, he just rattled off this incredible, eclectic, you know, Duke Ellington and Motown. And, you know, he's just lit- clicking off this crazy pastiche of influences uh, that sort of fascinating um now drummer paul thompson played in local newcastle bands and bassist uh, john gustaf Gus- gustaf gustafson i'm always tripping over that f gustafson um was from liverpool now this is interesting about john gustafson because he's the bassist and he's the guy who comes up with that great bass line on this song he played with this group in liverpool in the early 1960s called the big three now if anybody If anybody out there loves the Beatles, which is 99.9% of listeners, um, check out the other Liverpool bands at the exact same time. They're not as crafted uh, in terms of their songwriting, but it's it's that sound I mean if you love that sound there's about a dozen to two dozen bands that were playing at the cavern and other places in Liverpool that had a similar sound because the Beatles are coming out of a sound when they when they break out uh, of Liverpool but let's listen to Gustafson um, with the big three from 1963 on I'm with you, whatever you, say, whatever you do. this is the bassist to, for Roxy This is the big three. It's almost a Beatles tribute. Yeah. And you can listen to that bass. There's John. So that's, you know, this is the eclecticism of Roxy music. A lot of these guys are coming out of different experiences. Um, Art rock, of course, means collage of sounds, modern classical elements, electronic music, even theater. I mean, theater plays a huge role, avant-garde theater. Um, And it defines Roxy. Um, So let's listen to three Roxy tracks that most people don't know, uh, not because... You know, they don't know it, but because Roxy just wasn't well played. You didn't hear it much on the radio. Let's listen to Mother of Pearl in 73, which is off of um, Stranded. So you can hear the art rock sound. You can really hear the eclecticism in there. Let's listen to editions of you, um... Uh, f- this is from uh, For Your Pleasure in '73, and talk about a punk influence. It's like a farfisa, right? It's just say like punk with a whirligig, <laughs> yeah. right? And let's uh let's do the third one. Uh here's all I want is let's do all I want is you. This is from Country Life in 74. That's very English, right?
1: Somebody told me just the other day that you be-
2: It's a mixture of glam. I mean, there's a lot going on in there. Like, listen to those crunchy guitars. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in there. Um, So by 75, Roxy Music, but here's the thing. All that stuff's great but it's not making any money because there's no hits coming off of their stuff. It's it's popular in the UK, but they can't crack the U.S. market. And they realize they've got a tour. They want a tour in the U.S. And to tour in the U.S., they need something dancey by 75. They need something more commercial. This is what Brian and Andy McKay told me. They needed something that was less art rock. They didn't want to be sort of introduced by critics and everybody in the U.S. as, hey, here's the avant-garde art rock band. I mean, all of that stuff as andy said was poisoned for money i mean it just didn't ring it didn't bring out the crowds Um, so they decide to pull back on a song for for on this song for uh, pull back from art rock pure art rock so one day in 75 andy is at home um and they're putting together songs for siren and he's messing around on his Wurlitzer electric piano, and he comes up with these this interesting series of chords. And he's kind of playing it almost organy, like in a in a church. You know, it's this English folk harmony, churchy kind of feel. And it's a it's a really slow. It's almost a dirge. I mean, that's how that's how Brian described the original sound of this. It was almost like you know this this funeral march. Um, so he he. You know, Andy, keep in mind, played Altus Axe and, as Laurie noted, oboe with Roxy, but he also played keyboards, and he had this VC, VCS3, Uh mm-hmm. Nickel dig this, a British made, you know, the British-made portable analog synth. Um, and Portable, it was like this big though. Yeah, and you didn't play it with <laughs> keys, you, know, you played it with knobs, you had to turn knobs on this thing. Um, so while fooling around... You know, Andy's got these dreamy folk harmony chords that he thinks forms the basis of kind of an interesting song. So he brings it into the studio, and he plays it for the guys. And um, Brian and Paul, the drummer, um, they say, what if we take this up a bit, right? This is kind of slow. Like, what if we sped this thing up? So they speed it up, and as soon as this thing starts clicking in, you know, as soon as it's moving like a dance song, Gustafson jumps in with a bass line, and it's the bass line you hear on there. And it's one of the most important bass lines, really, of the 1970s. Um, Because, for one, I mean, you know, it's for a whole bunch of reasons, but the the primary reason is it lit up Nile Rodgers. I mean, Nile Rodgers hears that bass line. He is smitten with Roxy, and he takes that bass line, and he adapts it for a couple of pretty important songs. But let's, let's listen to a bit of Love is the Jug bass line. Uh, Matt, can we cue that up? You know, get get into the middle of it or something, and let's, let's hear that bass line wail away. It's ripping. All right, now I'm going to play you two, I'm going to, we're going to play two songs, and you're going to realize right away why this, this, this song is so important. Um, give, me, uh, give me the Sheik song. I don't want to give it away. Whoa, there's that bass, right? Adapted. It's not the exact bass. I mean, this is actually a ripoff of Everyone Bites the Dust, right? Kind of. Yeah. But, but that comes later. Yeah, no, no, it's around the same, t- it, it, it's just right after, but um, when I interviewed Niall for my anatomy with Niall, um, he said he and the bass player were hanging out that night uh, when he came up with this wow. bass line. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's, do the, let's do some Bowie also, late 70s. Listen to the bass. Again, Niall Rogers strikes right, again. Exactly. Niall produced this. So, that Gustafson bass line for Roxy in 75 just rockets through the late 70s. Um, Andy McKay added his alto sax briefly at the start of uh, Love is the Drug, and he double-tracked on the chorus, and uh, Chris Thomas, the producer... Um, held him back from adding more. He said, "Just in those places. That's all you need it." Um, and he just, you know, he, he kept it minimal. Um, Ferry played the farfisa organ, and Phil Menzanera uh, added sharp guitar. These these sort of rhythm guitar chinks in there. If you listen back to it, um, Chris Thomas added a shimmering effect. Uh, Brian told me, um, "I said, you know, get, is there something most people don't know about this song? Is there something you know that?" You you, you know, you just suddenly remembered.
1: That's your your magic question. It's
2: one of them, yeah. And Chris says, you know, Chris added a shimmering effect on the snare by creating a Leslie effect. Now, for those who don't know what a Leslie effect is or what a Leslie is, um, a Leslie uh, was a speaker common in the Hammond organ that had an electronic component. So what you hear is you wind up hearing a um, on the drum, you hear a whooshing feel coming through the speaker along with the drum. Um, after the music was finished, Brian Ferry took a tape home to write the lyrics, and he writes them on a notepad, and he pieces them together on a typewriter. He writes the lyrics on a typewriter at home, Old Royal. Um, now, the lyric, taint no big thing to wait for the bell to ring, taint no big thing the toll of the bell, Um you know, I'm shaking, I've got him upside down. I'm, I've got his ankles. I'm, I'm shaking him by his ankles. I said, where did that come from? This and he
0: blew my mind.
2: And, and it's a really amazing. And I'm shaking and I'm shaking. And Brian is very cool to interview. You know, he's like, well, I don't, you know, it's like, uh, you just kind of just, I said, come on, come on. There's <laughs> something that it, it, I know you don't. Cause
1: it's not eight. It's, Taint. Taint.
2: And he never talks about his lyrics, never discusses them. They just come. And finally he says, actually, it was inspired by a Caribbean guy who handled wardrobe for us. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, no matter what they asked him to do, the Caribbean guy would say, taint no big thing. And he worked that into the intro. Um, But Roxy needed a dramatic opener, right? Um, So Brian and Chris pulled bits from sound effects records. They used to have these records, you know, back in the 70s and the 60s, you know, trains. You'd have a whole album of trains. Um, And they would use them in recording studios to sort of add a bit of flavor to whatever was going on. It was sort of like transcription. You'd have it um, to add where you wanted. Um, And at his home in London, he had a gravel driveway. And he got the inspiration for that sound of a guy walking to his car on gravel on a gravel driveway jumping in and driving off to the discos downtown um, from, from his own experience from walking on that gravel um, driveway um, so they found all of that stuff on sound effects records do we have the intro let's let's listen to that intro. Um. It's almost like somebody's doing that with shoes on their hands. You know yeah, he's right? wearing heels.
1: <laughs> That's you what know
2: I thought. he has heels on. He's got his Bruno Mollies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the guitar, if you can, when you hear it kick in. Listen to the rhythm guitar. That was chinks. Chink, 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 chink. What a bass line. And this is 1975. I mean, See,
1: when I hear this bass line, I hear the birth of John Taylor right there. Absolutely. Yeah. You could know it is. If you know, you know that that's where that comes from, directly. You know, you mentioned Chris Thomas, and it's probably worth mentioning. I mean, you say that this is the song that, like, gives birth to new ways. I mean, Chris Thomas goes on to do Nevermind the Bullocks. He goes on to do more Roxy. He goes on to do In Excess, The Pretenders. I feel like this was a very golden moment for Chris Thomas to be on this record.
2: I agree. I agree. Um, Andy said they didn't want to sound too arty. And that they specifically wanted a dance feel for the states. This thing was produced for the states, in effect, so that they could crack the U.S. market uh, because they weren't overly popular in the states. Um, uh, the probably in the most famous video of the song, um, when you go online, is Brian with an eye patch on, mm-hmm. uh, singing. He's sort of dressed in an airline pilot's outfit, and the two women in the back look like flight attendants, right? Um, I said to him. I said, so was the eye patch? Was that a fashion-forward thing? And he go, he says, he says, you sort of look at that and you think like it's sort of piratical, right? You know, Ryan's by the way has the most wonderful vocabulary. I mean, he's these guys are just really smart people, and you know, it was sort of like. This pirate thing, piratical, you know, you think it was, wasn't it wasn't piratical at all. You know, he just throws that out, and I said, I said, well, you know, what happened, or you know, what was that? He goes, well, the day before, um, he walked into a door and hurt his eye, and he had to go to the hospital because it was that bad, and they put a patch on it. They, you know, dressed up his eye and put a patch on it, and he, he had to do, you know, he's worried he's got to do the video the next day um and he just decides to do it you know he just has to do it so he has that thing on i said for real he goes call the video up call it up and look carefully look carefully at the patch you'll see a dressing underneath you know right underneath the thing he goes they put a dressing on and then put the eye patch Right over it. So if you look close, you can actually uh, you can actually see it.
1: The bandage. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's so. Right? And that's the top of the pops performance that I that I was saying. How you had to to make a moment of it. Mm-hmm. So two things. One, he's like he walks into a door. Imagine like the fear. Oh my god, I have to film probably one of my bigger TV performances tomorrow. And the slick coolness of it that he makes it work for him. Right. And that until your article, I did not know that. Yeah. I just thought it was fashion and we can't style
0: (laughs) and we can't underestimate the impact of top of the pops because for the most part of course this would be pre-mtv for a lot of people this is the first time you're actually seeing these people other than you know on the album covers you're like literally not seeing them until now this is like their introduction to europe for the most part
2: and it's before this is before mtv this is before i mean keep in mind this is like you know that 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 appearance that video you're looking at is 1975 76 you know MTV isn't until as as you point out August of 81 so you know it, it's it's just for television but at the same time they, they because they're art school people they already they've invented MTV in their heads yes. you know what i'm saying that yes you know real artists are living 10 years ahead of our time. That's why when you see buildings, you know, that look bad, you say to yourself, gosh, that looks awful. And then 10 years later, it's the greatest building you've ever seen because normal people don't see art right away, you know, and once they do, it's usually 10 years later. All these artists, all these guys, you know, true artists are 10 years down the road, you know, they're, they're way ahead of their time. So they already see that, Bands need to be visual, that bands need to be putting on, because they come out of art rock, and art rock is one of the components of art rock is theater. You know, they're theater people. They understand that, that there's a show to put on, that you've got to have a visual show. It's not just standing around with, with instruments. You've got to... Now, again, they didn't invent this. Bowie's been, you know, Bowie's doing it since 73, right? And there's a lot of... And, and well, so, the
1: first Roxy yeah, 72. I mean, they were, they were total contemporaries. Like I, I was saying before you came on, I feel like Bowie gets all the credit, but Brian is, is standing beside him.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, Todd Rundgren, too. You know, it's like she, Todd. Todd, to- absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, mean people forget, like
0: especially the, those Utopia days, he was just an art rock freak. But Go there's online. There's
1: also the sense of, continuing education like I feel like people artists like Brian you know he's still going and there's this sense of also autodidactism even like this sense of like I will I will I may have been born a coal miner but I will teach myself and I will become like I love when you said that he has such a great vocabulary because I feel like There's this life has been a journey for him and he keeps learning and the visuals are part of his education, Mm -hmm. like educating himself from from the from all that he's learned and read and the art is is almost like like he's he's talked before about picasso and how picasso maybe we think he's one thing but then he would throw in these humorous sculptures and 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 that's kind of a, it's intuitive thinks in- he's picasso but it's brian ferretti it's intuitive yeah, he also, also thinks he's
2: steve jobs and maria callas too one so all in one <laughs> he does It's intuitive, also. I mean, this kind of with people like Brian, there's an intuitive curiosity and um, lust for education and lust for knowledge and lust for understanding, but it's not academic because academic knowledge is. To the depths, right? If you're studying something, you've you've got to read every single book on the subject, you've got to know everything about it, and it becomes rather boring. Um, but if you take, if you skim the top and you educate yourself in a way that is applying all of this information to your own art, if you're shopping, right? If you're, if you're using what I call the supermarket um, uh, approach to education, which means you're not, you're not trying, you're not educating yourself. So you know everything about something you're, you're taking, you're shopping with a supermarket cart and you're taking what you need to make your art you're just grabbing a little bit of this and I need to know some of that. And, you know, I love this Motown stuff, but I actually love the guitar on Motown and that third woman that's singing with that highish voice. I want to use that. They're they're he looking for Dr. ways- He
1: brought Dr. John's backup singers right. to, play, to sing on Roxy Music albums. I mean, they would just happen to be in London. Right. That is your shopping cart. I love that analogy, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Great analogy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, for the most part, um, Roxy like I said in, stumbles into New Wave before New Wave existed and uh, it's not until the late 1970s that it comes full flower and Seymour Stein coins it we have to take a quick break gotta take
0: a break from this Otsy stuff <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back with more from Mark Myers on feedback stick around See, we're, we're walking into commercials Lori Wait, open up the car door Uh, Yeah, it's almost time to talk about uh, sleep number. Ah, later. (laughs) We'll be right back.
1: Stick around. Feedback returns in just a moment. Bringing
2: into the history of the iconic hits that changed rock, RB, and pop. This
0: is Anatomy of a Song on Feedback. As we hit
1: the floor, lumber up, limbo down, the lust
2: embrace, I stumble around. I say go, she said yes. Dim the lights, you can guess the rest.
0: Oh, All right, Roxy Music. Soon to be Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Roxy Music and High Time 2, Sirius XM 106. So we were just talking about this earlier, Mark. Lori and I were just saying, we were talking about this, was it last year or the year before? We were like, you know, what band should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We both said Roxy Music. Like, it never yeah, happened. Yeah, we said this
1: two years yeah. ago, and both of us, when we said it, we went... I mean, in our hearts, we knew it would never happen. Right. We just said it because we believed it. You know, we we believed it, but Absolutely. we never thought we could convince anyone else yeah. of this. Yeah. yeah, well, it's great.
2: Someone understands. It's great enough people on that board understand the contribution and why they're special. I mean, it's it's hard I mean, for if Radiohead an to get that goes across. in
1: before them. Like, come <laughs> on. Yeah,
2: no, I mean, and and that's no shot to Radiohead. But again,
1: no.
0: Radiohead's another band that like you you might not. Trace a direct lineage, but they are definitely sons of Roxy Music.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it's Roxy's at a turning point, and like I said, this song is critical for the reasons we've outlined. Um, okay, so it's time for the top ten, right? <clears throat> top ten songs. Um, what I want to do this this time around is let's look at the evolution of new wave. Where does new wave come from? You know, how does it how, how does it emerge? You know, how does it go from you know, okay. It came from punk. Where does punk come from, and why does new wave sort of have this nerdiness about it? Elvis Costello's glasses. You know, the nerdy, the 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 um, uh, David Byrne geekiness. I mean, there's a geeky, nerdy quality to new uh, to new wave. Will Will, will it be okay if, if after every song I offer the two words, Lori, rebuttal?
1: No, <laughs> just to set it up. There are there is a new wave is like. Um, there's t- several schools of new wave. And I'm there aware. is definitely the what you just said, all the geeky stuff. That is definitely one of- Late 70s. Yes.
2: Yeah, and you know, I know where we where you're going with it. I would call what you're about to describe Brit pop and synth pop. I mean, the early '80s is a completely different scene. You've got MTV. It's it,
1: you're, you're talking th- skinny ties, Joe Jackson, totally, yeah. Elvis. It's a
2: slicker. It has to be for reasons we'll talk about another time. But let's let's go through. Let's start. Let's start at the beginning of this of this Elvis Costello-y, David Byrne kind of thing. Um, yeah, buddy Holly. I knew you were going to say Buddy
0: Holly (laughs) I knew you were going to say Buddy Holly Buddy Holly and Donny Iris Never seen in the same room At the same time
2: (laughs) Coincidence? This is 1959 Hey, you can listen to the voice I mean, this ends up in new wave Because they love Buddy Holly The Beatles love Buddy Holly All right, let's um, let's do Billy J. Kramer in nineteen
0: sixty-three as we walk along and I'll hold her
2: hand. So Rick Ocasek, you know, the point is, is all these British bands, you know, Rick obviously is American, but I mean, all the British bands in the New Wave period, early New Wave period in the late 70s, they're listening to Billy J. Kramer when they're growing up. They're listening to Buddy Holly and they're listening to this next guy. Let's do I'm Telling You Now, 1963. This is Freddie and the Dreamers. And what I'm saying here is, think of what you're hearing and place it in new wave. Do you hear similarities? You do, because this is what these guys listen to. Now, let's go to, the, let's go to 1964. I don't want to tell you the group or the song, but just run it. Now, you can hear Buddy Holly in there. And the Beatles love Buddy Holly. and the reason, the reason they're the Beatles is because Buddy Holly had the crickets. That's where the Beatles name comes from. But you can hear the, you can hear the pop geekiness in here. 1965 kind of changes things, kind of changes the feeling. Um, let's do it. All right Now it's getting a little punky. I mean, this is a middle finger song, right? You know, it's just, it's just like, screw the parents, screw adults, and it's as geeky screw the as it gets with the stutter, as geeky as it yeah. gets. Yeah. And it's punky. I mean, if this song hadn't been invented, it would have been a punk song and you know Bad Reputation comes off of this a lot of songs come off of my generation Um, but the group that I think Roxy listened most to and was most influenced by is this next group this is 1970 I think we skipped over one but we'll back up this is Bowie right yeah this is where where have all the good times gone I should have called it out let's let's do the velvet underground sweet Jane because that's a real inspiration for Roxy but you could hear with Bowie you know you can hear the beginning of edge And of, of, you know, what what punk is actually going to rebel against, which is glam and slickness and arena concerts.
0: But he's got that slightly
2: discordant guitar. Yeah. Yeah, listen to this. This is 1970. It's the Velvet Underground. I mean, this is Roxy. This is Roxy five years a earlier,
1: case in my yeah. right? Is cool, so is in her vest.
2: You know, Velvet Underground is art rock. It's the beginning of art rock. You know, these guys are all art rockers. Um, <clears throat> now let's now let's 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 you know we heard Bowie there before. Let's go to the New York Doll, New York Dolls Private World 1973, and you can hear you can hear where the surge is coming from. This is New York, 73. So it's punk with a pop sensibility for the New York Dolls. Let's do uh, Lou Reed in 1974, Sally Can't Dance. Oh, that sounds like love is the drug, right? And again, it's not stealing, it's not lifting, it's influencing. It's 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 um, something that is inspiring. That's what it is. Wow. Now, at around the same time period as "Love Is the Drug," and this is an interesting contrast. Um, there's a group in New York um, of um, there's a group in New York that comes together and puts together a song that's based on "Rock the Boat," uh, the disco song. Um, and in fact, this This song is called the disco song in 1975. Hit it. Wow. This is Blondie's demo. This is what they called the disco song before they had before it was produced and they had a full name for it. This is 1975. Wow. 30 seconds left. All right. Hit love is the drug to go out. And you can sum it all up. That's how we get there.
0: I love when he threads the The needle like that. I love when he threads the needle like that.
1: This is a great one.
0: At SiriusXM volume, uh, once again, uh, Mark Myers has hit it out of the park. God bless, man. All right. We're out of here. Have a good day. Bye.